How are you guys feeling tonight? Is it hot in here or is it just me? I think I'm getting like hot, like heat strokes. Uh, like seriously? Uh, we got to work out some AC system with the Kelvin um, Gadget somewhere. Okay, we'll figure it out. Anyways, how are you guys doing? Yes, really, really good. The weather has been amazing. And I don't know about you, but I'm like very weather affected. I can do anything if it's like sunny weather. Therefore, I'm really happy today. I'm very excited to preach. Uh, we just came back from retreat. Uh, seems like, yeah, mostly everyone that went to the retreat is already here. Um, I know that we didn't have large group last Tuesday, but, uh, you know, we, we're starting it again. You know, we have about four or five more large groups. Um, yeah, with that said, I'm very excited. Um, actually, some of the points that Sarah led um, are already something that I'm going to be speaking to you guys on. But um, yeah, I'm very excited because the word that I'm going to give tonight, I really believe is uh, crucial for this hour for Emmaus at KU in particular. Okay, so I kind of just want to go right into it because I'm trying not to go too long. I don't want to, but we'll see how this goes. Uh, I want to go straight to the point. So the word I want to speak to you tonight is actually on maturity. Okay. Write it down in your notebooks. Um, yeah, this is a word that God has constantly be, uh, been speaking to me uh, when it comes to this campus. Uh, there's something significantly wrong if you're not maturing as you're walking with the Lord, right? And um, if you're walking with the Lord properly in a righteous way, you can't help but to grow and to grow and mature with him, right? That is God's desire. In fact, it says in the word, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ, and um, something that New Philadelphia Church is um, a word that we're meditating on these days is actually called uh, it's, it's new wine. It's like new wine, new wine for the new wine skin. It comes from Luke uh, 5, 37, 38. And no one pours new wine into old wine skins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wine skins will be ruined. So new wine must be poured into new wine skins. You know, before there are seasons like in New Philly where um, there were like phrases, like top catchy phrases that everyone would say. At one point, it was shift into the spirit. I don't know if you guys remember, like old time, you know, stutters and stuff. Everybody, every time that like, you're going through a hard time, like, man, like, I don't know, like, I'm, I don't feel too good. Shift into the spirit. We literally would say it. We had like a motion, like shift, like we had that, right? It was to the point where people were almost getting insensitive. It's like, oh yeah, like, uh, I, like I'm, I'm like really having a hard time. Well, we'll shift into the spirit. It's fine. You know, things like that. But, and there's another time where it was all about new dispensation. And I even what that word meant when I first heard it, but it's all about like new levels, breaking into newer heights, newer seasons, new dispensation. But the word that we're meditating on currently right now as our church is progressing, uh, progressing forward is actually new wine. Uh, specifically, uh, I really believe that the Lord is bringing um, just as much new wine to the new wine skin. I really uh, feel like new wine equals maturity and new wine skin, you know, so therefore old wine is immaturity. And just as this verse said, as we need to prepare for the new wine to be poured into us, we need to first have new wine skin, correct? And so in order for God to give us the mature things that he has for us in, you know, whatever his will and his purpose is, we need to set our minds up and set ourselves up uh, to have a mature mindset in order to receive it. Because God will not bring the mature things to the immature. Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, God will not bring immature... No. God will not bring maturity to the immature. I'm so hot up here. Go tell your neighbor. God will not bring maturity to the immature. I need like a supernatural fan up here. Woo! 
First Corinthians 14.20 says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Uh, be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. I love that phrase. Don't be children in your thinking. Basically, don't think childishly. Uh, grow up. That's like another way of saying it, right? And uh, really, in order for God to bring in this new season for us, because there is a new season that's coming for KU, uh, I really believe that it's not just the external things that we need to get in order. Like, you don't just, you know, stretch out your hands, and then, you know, God just going to plop it on your hands. But you really got to ask God, God, what I got to make room in my mind. I got to really prepare for what the mature things that you're about to say to me is, okay? Actually, it's, uh, there's like a phrase... Success given too soon, it could really cripple the individual, right? Something like that. Uh, basically, God will sometimes delay or withhold certain blessings for you uh, because he's actually waiting for you to mature, okay, for a lot of the ways. Because um, if someone named something, like, expensive, very, very expensive, laptop, is that, like, the most house, diamond ring, whatever, right? So uh, I think, like, you know, your dad, a dad is never going to give his daughter a diamond ring. Like, here, wear it. This is, like, your new Polly Pocket or whatever, right? He's not going to do something like that, nor is he going to give his five-year-old daughter a car and be like, hey, this is, like, the perfect gift for you. And, you know, because she's not going to know how to use it or do anything. Instead, the dad should actually be giving her a bicycle with training wheels and then master that, and then you can move on to a bike. And after that, you can throw some rollerblades in there, like whatever. Just really learn how to do those things. And then you can really, you know, master the car that he gives you, right? There are too many of us that are asking God for cars when all he wants to do is get us to focus on the training wheels. Hey, first, did you master this? Did you master this basic step? Did, you know, is this, you know, did you take care of step one before two, three, and four about to be given to you? Uh, we're asking for it either too soon or we're asking for even just the mature things when he's asking, is actually waiting for us to become a mature person to handle it. Okay. So, you know, even for, um, it, you know, in the same sense, God, he gives, um, a solid food only when we've mastered drinking milk, right? And so even if he were to give you food or give you those things, we won't even be able to properly digest it. So um, there are two parts. You know, some of us in this room could really be crying out like, God, like what is my next step, two, three, and four? But he's still waiting for you to master step one. And then there are other parts of us, other people in this room, where God is waiting for you because you've already been equipped to do two, three, and four, but you're still hung up on step one. Like, whatever the case is and whatever state that you're in, it's really, I really want you guys to listen to what I'm speaking today and really discern the season and the state that you are in and really decide, like, man, like, am I, um, God, like, which, which one am I? Like, where am I going with this, right? And so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 14. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 14. Uh, I'm going to wait like five seconds. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 14. Uh, It says, I'm going to actually read in the NIV. Uh, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So today I'm going to address the spiritual infant, and I'm going to give you some steps on how to really grow in your spiritual walk, okay? 
number one, spiritual infants are needy and self-centered. Okay, write those words down. Needy and self-centered. Man, that word needy, it already irritates me. I don't like neediness. But needy and self-centered, meaning babies, they only think about themselves. They only know how to function in this way, if you think about it. Uh, they cry over the smallest things. Their feelings get easily hurt. Um, they don't know how to give. I mean, they don't know how to, uh, yeah, give because they're too busy receiving, receiving, receiving everything. And oftentimes in spiritual infancy, you'll see these symptoms. And it's okay when you're, like, you know, a new believer and you're really starting to walk back with the Lord. That's fine. Like, you receiving and, like, really getting the teaching for things. But if you're prolonging this season and if you're really ready to grow, there's something wrong with that. And too many times we see this in the church. Every time, and I can be a victim of this too, sometimes when we feel like dry or whatever, stagnant in our walk, we're going to go to every sermon, every Bible study, every large group, like, man, like, what is it going to, you know, what is, how is it going to bless me? Like, even just everything, like joint prayer meeting, like, man, I can't wait to get blasted, you know, or even like the retreat, I can't wait to get a breakthrough, you know, it really, and that's, that's okay to have these desires, but it's not okay if you keep depending it you know, your life on it and on those things. Right. And, um, and then even at the end, when we get the word, we, you know, we complain and we're just like, man, uh, like it was all right. Like, you know, why was the sermon all right? Is it because it didn't pertain to you or is it because it was actually the right word at the right season? And, um, even just, you know, whenever you want to get, you know, there's like a new famous speaker that's coming in town. Wow. I can't wait. You know, why are you even going? Is it because you think that person is going to provide your breakthrough and, you know, this is a question I want you guys to all ask yourselves the next time you hear a sermon is, are you more interested in what you want to hear or are you more interested in what God wants you to hear? And you really need to let this question sink deep in. Are you really saying and walking away from a large group or from a familiar being like, oh, that was all right because I didn't get anything from it? Or are you going to forget that mindset and be like, no, even though it didn't really hit me, I can still pull something from this. Okay. Infants are needy. They can't stand up on their own two feet. They can't feed themselves. In fact, they just open their mouths and expect everyone to feed them. Okay. Have you ever depended on somebody for your breakthrough? There's probably everyone in the room, right? Um, every time when I would get prayer for maybe like a, like a spiritually prophetic person or whatever, I just can't wait. Cause it's like, if I can't find the answer then I'm going to depend on that person for it. Or, um, even like when I talked to my spiritual mentor, pastor Aaron, like everything, like I've one season of my life and I was really still growing. I was so dependent on every single word that she gave me. And I wasn't able to even hear the voice of God myself because I was too busy relying on her words. Right. And, um, even the same thing with babies, like they're too busy, like relying on other people. They're too busy thinking about themselves. They're controlled by their own desires. And this inevitably stunts their spiritual growth because all they see is themselves. In fact, spiritual infants, they're so self-centered that they don't even realize the season and the state that they're in, that God puts them in. Therefore, they lack discernment. They lack thanksgiving. They're not even thankful for what they do have. And they're not, you know, they're not thankful because they don't have, you know, what they want to have. Like all these things. And all they do is just whine about everything. Um, everything. I actually, I'm getting convicted right now because I feel like lately I have been whining about everything. You know, even spiritually mature people, they can whine and they can really have seasons of just like breaking into newer levels of like maturity. But um, yeah, even with that, right? Uh, this really convicted me because, um, you know, I would say I am a spiritually mature, you know, I've grown and I, I'm, I'm mature more than I was years ago. Uh, but when it comes to like my prayer life these days in the recent months, 
I do admit that I've been more of an infant. Like, as in, man, the first five minutes to like an hour, I think I would just go machine gunning, praying about myself and what I want, my desires, everything. And even if it was about family, it was about what I wanted to see in it. Like what, you know, how would it benefit me? How would this benefit me? And I was getting so convicted because there was a point in my life where I would have like, you know, a list of people that I would pray for. And like, I was able to, you know, really, um, you know, pray for other people, but you know, somewhere along the past months, it's just been about me and all I could see is myself. Right. And this really reminded me of a time when pastor Aaron told me, uh, something that pastor Daniels from the retreat actually said one time was if you want breakthrough in your own life, then you sow a seed into someone else's garden. Okay. So if you want a financial breakthrough, you sow a financial seed into someone else's life. If you want breakthrough in your own family, then you pray for someone else's family. Meaning that it's not just about you, but you realize that you're a body of Christ and your brothers and sisters. Therefore, you need to also know that when you're lifting up your brother or sister for their breakthrough, you automatically get yours as well. You need to get this mindset and just grasp this. Know that we are one. We are one body. Okay? We're not individuals here. Okay? Uh, Number two. Spiritual infants are wishy-washy. Please write that. Spiritual infants are wishy-washy. They don't know what they want or they don't know what they even believe in because, you know, they're swayed by people's opinions back and forth, this belief or that belief. They hear a message and they'll say they'll follow it, but then when they go home, they don't follow it. Like, they don't make a decision in their minds because nothing is concrete. Therefore, our values and our beliefs don't come from the Lord, but they come from the world's opinions and even the opinions of ourselves. And uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, 14 through 15, it actually says, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. So oftentimes we could mistake mere movement as growth. Meaning if you move from like one side to the other, we consider that growth sometimes. It's like, wow, like, you know, I moved out of this place and therefore I'm growing. You know, I, I moved out of this place of alcoholism you know, therefore I'm growing. But the real question I want to ask you is what have you done after you moved out of that place? You know, in a, in a sense, you're celebrating too soon. It's like, you're saying I moved out of this place of bondage. I moved out, I moved out of this place of thinking, yay. But you realize that your growth only goes horizontally and you don't realize that, you know, you got to take steps to really growing and taking something upwards from there. And the same goes for healing and deliverance. You know, many of you guys have gone through a session of healing and deliverance. It's when we confess our sins. We uh, really confess the bondages that, you know, that we've been facing. And then um, we get delivered from them, right? You know, oftentimes we celebrate the fact that we're free from moving out of that place. But we make no effort to stay in that place of freedom by growing into newer levels of it. Therefore, we remain stagnant. Okay? So it's not just this. It's not nomadic you know, being nomadic and moving from this place to this place to this place is not growing sometimes. People think that when they move back and forth and back and forth, we're growing because you see change, but you need to know it's going upwards from glory to glory to glory. Amen? Number three, spiritual infants are repetitive. I know this because I teach kids and I have to say it like 5,000 times. But, um, okay, they constantly need to be told 
what to do over and over and over again. And in fact, the same things over and over and over again. They suffer from spiritual amnesia. In fact, they, you know, hear like one thing and they literally, it's like kind of amazes me, you know, like they just forget it, right? I'm kind of like that too. Sometimes like if I don't write something down, um, I don't remember it. So then I struggle with the same things over and over and over again because I fail to form actually good mature habits to get over those very things. You know, do you ever wonder why you go up to your leader and you ask like the same exact questions? Like, why am I struggling with this? Why am I still struggling with this? I've had time and time again gone to Pastor Aaron, you know, like one season, like maybe in 2011, you know, okay, why am I going through this? Okay, she gave me breakthrough, great. The next year, same thing. I'm going through the same exact battle. I don't even know why. And I'm like, you know, why am I? And I even ask her, like, why am I, why am I dealing with the same exact things? And, you know, there was a time when I first started staffing at Emmaus four years ago. I don't think I've shared this story, but there, there's a bunch of girls. And uh, because I think I did maybe, but there are a bunch of girls. And because there's so many girls on staff, we didn't really know each other. And I struggled a lot with uh, spiritual envy and jealousy. Can you imagine like six, I think it was like five or six girls that were on staff. All of us were growing and learning under Pastor Aaron and we were still really new and young. And all I could think about was what another person got. All I could think about was, oh man, like Pastor Aaron, she likes that girl more than me or, you know, things like that. And I would just be filled with jealousy filled with envy of these things and one thing she told me you know i was constantly struggling over this and one thing she told me was like eunice like any person that you struggle jealousy with um i want you to bless that person because in a sense when you struggle with jealousy you don't want that person to succeed you don't want that person to get any favor therefore you're kind of cursing them in a sense so you need to counteract that and you need to bless them so i want you to bless the very people that you are jealous over and so I remember, like, you know, hearing her words and really trying to heed that advice. But um, there were definitely seasons after seasons during that first year or two where I was just struggling constantly. I was forgetting everything that she was saying uh, because I forgot the very words that she was speaking. Right. And the enemy tries to get us to waste our times by doing circles and circles, dealing with the same issues, the same struggles, uh, because we keep forgetting what we're supposed to be doing. And uh, something that I want to ask you guys is I want you to really think about, like, what are the repetitive issues that you're dealing with in your life? Like, what are the constant problems, like, over and over and over again? Like, well, what are they? And, you know, when you really, you know, sense this problem, like this, this root, um, you know, have you taken steps to really try to overcome it? Or can you really ask yourself, like, man, like, did my leader say something about that? And have I not stewarded it properly? You know, I really want you to ask yourself this, and this could really be the breakthrough for why you struggle with certain things over and over and over again. And you don't have to beat yourself up for being like, man, like, you know, I'm doing it again. I'm going, over, I'm going through this thing again. But you just simply need to ask God, God, illuminate the very things you've already spoken to me. And if you're silent, I know it's because you've already spoken it to me. And so, you know, that's something to really deal with that. And the fourth and the last thing is spiritual infants need to filter their words. Okay. Filter their words. As Christians, we are held accountable for what we say and what comes out of our mouths. So, you know, infants, they don't care what they say to you. They'll blurt it out. They'll say exactly what they feel. They won't even have a filter. Exactly what they feel, right? 
And, um, you know, but as we grow and as we mature, one thing that we do obtain is, you know, wisdom and discernment. And we learn to say the things at the right time or not to say this thing, but wait for a right time or things like that. Right. But let's just face it. You know, when we're really still young in our faith, we might just say things. Even mature people might struggle in this, like slander, gossip, idle talk. Idle talk is like when you're just saying things, you know, just like in passing. I do this a lot. I don't even know I'm doing it. I'm really exhaling like just stupid things, like really, really stupid things. And so, you know, harsh joking, uh, things like that. But, you know, it's not just about how we say things to certain people, but it's the content of what we say that God actually cares about as well. And um, I know I'm sharing a lot of stories about myself. It's because I don't know that many stories about yourselves, but... um, I think one of the biggest things I could really know, you know, like I could, I could tell you is that um, when I was in college, actually all my life growing up, I grew up in very ghetto neighborhoods. So I started like cursing when I was like in first or second grade and I would get like, I didn't even know there were curse words. And I started saying, um, you know, inappropriate things that I heard my friends say, and I wouldn't even know, you know, that's, that, that was really bad. And, um, it got worse in high school cause I was so naive that my friends would target me and make me say things and I would be stupid and say it. And they would just laugh. And then, you know, back then I was very insecure. So I liked the attention. So I keep saying the bad things like, you know, things like that. But you know, it just got so much worse in college because, um, you know, like me and one of my best friends actually who serves on staff, uh, it's, you know, six of us in one apartment, three on each side. And we consider ourselves really good friends. We were like best friends for that matter. But constantly, every single day, there was drama. There was some kind of like gossip about one girl doing this to that person in our house. And we would like lock doors and like, you know, we just like grab like one or two other people. If it didn't involve that person, we just grab them, form an alliance and just talk about them. And like, we'd always do it over and over again. And then the next day, like we're completely fine. Like, you know, we're like, oh yeah, yeah, that was great. It's like friendly backstabbing. We do it all the time. And I think, um, you know, just everything that we would say, even like, we weren't even like cursing or anything. Like it wasn't like those kind of bad words, but it was a lot of uh, inappropriate, stupid, vulgar humor. And we would think it's really funny. My friend would laugh hysterically when she saw people in neck braces. I don't know why. I was like, something like with neck braces. Like she thought it was hilarious. And she was like, Eunice, like if you got hit by a car, I would just like laugh. Like I was like, ah. Like, you know, I just, I wouldn't really know how to really, but it was funny at the time because our humor was so cruel. And we would say things we weren't supposed to say and we would call each other names we weren't supposed to say. And so it was just very, um, I know those things, but, you know, soon enough, I came to Korea. I came actually before my best friend. I came first, and um, the first thing God convicts me of is you need to change the way you talk because you can't keep going like this. And, um, he, you know, God would, God would, like, confront me and say, like, your humor is too offensive and it's too sarcastic. And, um, you know, believe it or not, right now I'm okay. I, I do a really good job at, like, filtering, and it's good. It's really gone. But I think one of the first things that I had to really let go of, and I was really sad to let go of, was like offensive, sarcastic humor. To this day, if you show me a YouTube video of that kind of humor, I will still laugh and I would have a really good time laughing at it. But if you, you know, you won't see me preaching up on stage being very sarcastic and offensive. I don't evangelize to students in that manner. I wouldn't really do things like that, right? And, um, you know, in Psalm 144.3, it says, Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Mm. Man, this, I, I literally, when I was praying it, I remember in my prayer closet, I, w- I would do this. I'm like, God, set a guard. Shut my mouth <laughs> when I don't need to say anything. And um, it was just, you know, it was really hard at first because I think one of the first things why I hated Korea 
and why I didn't like New Philly at first was because I couldn't laugh with people. And um, I was saying that they were lame, that they were too sensitive, and that they need to get over it. But then God was telling me, you're too mean, and you're offensive, and you're sarcastic. You need to stop. And so he would just really flip the script on me, and I realized that I was really trying and so I really took conscious efforts to do that. It was really hard, guys. It's like a habit, you know, like the way that I talk, the stuff that I would say. My best friend came to Korea six months after. It was so much harder because we would just do it, and then people would confront us of why we're so mean. But to us, we're funny. <laughs> we're not even, like, mean. So we didn't understand. And, like, we, you know, it's, it comes out now in a more godly Holy Spirit sense. <laughs> Hopefully. But, um, you know, it's just something that God really convicted me of. He was saying, like, Eunice, if you want to mature in your walk with me, you got to also mature in your language and the way that you speak and how you say things in a loving way. And so, you know, naturally, uh, it's better for me now. I'm even grieved by sometimes the things I say these days because, like, I catch myself. I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have said that or things like that, right? And so, you know, I want, you know, with that said, if you're someone that, you know, struggles with, like, how I do, you got to, you know, I really want to encourage you guys to just, you know, be encouraging to each other. Like, you know, say things, like give a compliment, a genuine one. Like, you know, give like praise to one another. Like, you know, see the positive in each other or things like that. But don't go overboard on it. I'm not, I'm not telling you to like be like super mushy and overboard about it. Like, Caitlin, like the way that you flip those slides on the media, like, like the glory, like it's just so beautiful and like it really, really hits me. Like, no, don't talk like that, guys. Unless if that's really the word you want to give to her. But, you know, just, you know, you got to use your discernment and know that you can playfully bicker and you can just be, you know, joking with each other or whatever as long as it's edifying. But once you cross that line, you know, you, I think the more that you grow with Christ, I firmly believe that he'll give you like this spiritual filter. And if you have already said it, he'll convict you right away. I know because it does, happens all the time to me still. Like just convicts you, Right. And so those are, you know, there's so many symptoms of a spiritual infant or whatever, but this is just, you know, these are some of the things that I was really noticing and that God really put on my heart. Um, so you can just take that. There's so much more of, you know, immature people, but th these are like some of the, uh, the four things. But in order to really pursue spiritual maturity, I want us to really flip the script. And uh, one of, number one, the first thing that I want you to do in order to pursue spiritual maturity and get over, you know, all these things I was just telling you was um, to have an appetite for meat. In this spiritual sense, meat is the word. Yes, thank you, the word. Yes. <laughs> um, it's not good enough to just say, I read the word. But I want to really challenge you guys to be like, no, I am in love with the word. Like, I can't wait to read it. I can't, you know, wait to dig into it. And, um... I know I use, I think I talk about food a lot, but how many of us like meat again? Anyone like meat? Like I'm like obsessed with meat. And like for me, the way that I really, really like meat, sometimes like I can't, like when I'm fasting, I, that's the first thing I just start dreaming about it. And like, I can't wait. And it's like, you know, it's the same thing with the word. Like we gotta be like loving. Like I can't wait to read it. Like I can't wait to dig into it. And I can't wait to like wake up and swim in the word. Like how I wake up swimming in the Kogi buffets that I wanna eat. Like things like that, right? And so, you know, I, I really get convicted, you know, for me, especially when I need to read the word because, you know, for the longest time I would treat it like a history book, not like a word, a book that gives me life. But, you know, that's something that 
I want you guys to pray for. Don't just pray and say, oh, I eat meat, but really pray that I love to eat. I, I, get God, give me an appetite for your word. And, you know, we talk about moving from spiritual infancy where we drink milk to solid food, right? And the first solid food that we need to tackle is the word. And so our spiritual maturity is directly dependent on God's word. And it is actually impossible for you to mature without it. Um, you know, we started a Bible reading plan, accountability groups, right? And some of the familias. And, um, you know, I really want to encourage you guys, if you're struggling with reading the word, um, you don't have to be obsessed with the checklist. Like I didn't get to read like, you know, this, 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 like this much, like I'm not talking about that, but if you just really struggle with even opening the Bible and like, if you did what I did, I would just like flip to like a certain passage and just like put my finger there. And then, and then I would just hope that that could really like, you know, bless me. Like that was me reading the word, like, you know, a few years ago. But if you really just struggle with, you know, reading the word and having an appetite for it, I want you to be honest to your accountability partners. And I want you to be honest to your leader. And I want you to be honest with yourself and do something about it. You know, a big part of maturing is you got to do something about it. You can't just leave it as thoughts and convictions, but you have to really put actions into, you know, what's, what God is really convicting you on. Okay. And uh, the reason why I say this is because the devil's number one priority is to disengage you from the word of God, because if he can disconnect you from the truth, it's game over. You have nothing to rely on, nothing to stand back on, nothing to like fall back on when you're going through hard times. If you don't have a grasp of the word of God, and if you're malnutritioned, like malnutrition, mal- malnourished, if you're malnourished from, um, you know, not reading the word, you know, that's exactly what he wants you to do. He wants you to suffer from spiritual anorexia, you know, just to really, you know, not read the word and actually not be, and be okay with not reading the word. If you're okay with not reading the word, there's something wrong. And I want to really get your minds thinking and, you know, really encourage you guys to really uh, get an appetite for meat. Okay. Get an appetite for the word. Number two, learn how to handle rebukes and mistakes. A big part about growing up anywhere, even when you're a little kid and you're growing up, you got to learn how to handle rebukes and you got to learn how to handle mistakes that you've made. Okay. When I'm talking about a rebuke, guys, let's talk about rebukes for a second. I'm not talking about rebukes that are um, illegitimate and that hurt people. I'm talking about life-giving rebukes, like rebukes that are good for you, rebukes that are given, you know, from the Lord, from your leader, from your sister or brother, whatever. People who you really trust, but and they really just kind of, they're doing it because they really care. Um, Proverbs 15:31 it says, whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. So basically, if you want wisdom, you got to learn how to take rebukes. You know, pastor once said that rebuke taken with obedience becomes anointing. And so, you know, at first it could really like cut you apart. But if you really obey the very words that have been spoken over you, it can automatically become anointing and set you free. Uh, in Proverbs twenty twenty three, uh, it says, one who rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than one who flatters with the tongue. And, you know, like, I'd rather give a rebuke to my students than watch them, like, you know, just go off on their foolish ways just because I was too scared to give one. And, you know, before, like, maybe a, even, like, a year ago, like, I would just suck at it. Like, I, I'm not really good at reprimanding or just, you know, like, doing this, da-da-da-da, like, being, like, really harsh or come down on people, even though I clearly know that they're not going the right way because it was just so hard for me. Like, I wouldn't be able to be tough with that. I'm really good with kids. Like when I teach kids, I'm really scary. But then like when I'm with students, like you guys are adults and uh, a part of that, like it was just so hard for me. But you know, now I'm really learning that there are times when you smile and you say, good job. But then there are other times when you don't smile and you say, what were you thinking? And you really, you know, you really got to 
like give it where it's needed in those times. So when we want to spiritually mature, one thing I want you guys to stop doing is focusing on how you took the rebuke, but focus on the heart behind it. And um, stop harboring bitterness and resentment when someone gives you a life-giving rebuke, but instead bring it to the Lord. Because ultimately, your quarrel is with God, everything. Uh, It's not even the person that gave it. It's really the Lord that probably impressed it upon your leader to give you that rebuke. And um, rebukes are meant to give life, guys. And they're, you know, just, they're not meant to die because of your perception of it and how you were injured by it, but they're really meant to bring you life. And so if you're, like, scared to take a rebuke, then pray about it. Like, do what I did. You know, when I would be really terrified of taking rebukes, one thing, the way I would, I would actually pray is, like, Lord, give me the grace to, to accept a life-giving rebuke and give me your eyes and ears uh, when it happens. Because it says in your word that rebukes are life-giving. So, you know, I should take it in a rightful way. Amen. Done. I would always pray that, God, give me grace Help me not to react out of my own flesh, but really to understand and to meditate on what this really means, what this person is saying to me. Um, we know when we talk about making mistakes, learning, you know, and we just, honestly, behind every mistake, God wants to give us a lesson behind it. And um, sometimes God allows us to go through mistakes to help us learn something from it. And um, if you've already learned your lesson, you know, from that mistake, the word of the Lord for you today, especially for those or so hard on yourselves when you make one, is it's, it's going to be okay. Just let it go. You know, just even that alone. Like, you know, I think for me, I give myself a really hard time when I make a mistake. I don't show it maybe, but I am like literally my worst critic when it comes to certain things, especially my hobbies or whatever. Um, but I think what God is really teaching me to do is it's, it doesn't really matter. Like, let it go. It's not that important. It's okay. Okay. Uh, some of the greatest Bible characters even committed terrible errors. They, they received rebukes, yet they're still remembered as some of the greatest servants that we, you know, learn today. You know, David, he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he was rebuked by Nathan, right? Uh, Peter denied Jesus three times, not only once, twice, but three times. Yet he became one of the best well-known uh, apostles out there. So the problem is that we need to stop allowing our mistakes to really define our identity and our character. And so, you know, every time when you make a mistake, you're not a terrible person because of that mistake. you got to stop allowing, like, what you did to really dictate who you really are. And a lot of the times, I do this too, but if I make a mistake and I I drop the ball on a friend, I'm like a terrible friend. I'm automatically a terrible friend. I'm automatically a noun, guys. Besides, like, you know, like what what I did, I automatically tie it to, to myself. But, you know, I really believe that God wants to draw a line between, like, what you do and who you are. It's so simple. Like, these are things that we hear all the time, right? And uh, the last two points are actually the two main points I want you guys to really go home with. Uh, All these things that I mentioned in spiritual infancy, infancy, these are all childish ways. So number three is put your childish ways behind you, okay? Put your childish ways behind you. We all know this verse. When I was a child, I taught like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put my childish ways behind me. All the things I talked about, being needy, self-centered, wishy-washy, all those things, they're for an infant. If you struggle with any of these, you need to bring it before the Lord. And in order to find out what childish ways you have, you need to really sit down with God and ask him to highlight the very childish and immature things on your heart. You need to give yourself a serious self-assessment. In Psalm 26, 2, it says, Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. 
You can't go to your leader for this. You can't go to someone else for this, but you need to do this yourself. Because a part of this, guys, part of growing up is not to be spoon-fed anymore. It's to pick up the spoon and feed yourself. And you are more than capable of providing your own breakthroughs, okay? You don't need a powerful altar call again from the retreat. You don't need to be picked out from a crowd and given a prophetic word in front of everybody. In fact, those things limit even your perception of how God could speak to you. But you need to believe that the breakthrough, you can provide it for your own. Meaning in your prayer closet with a sincere heart, Lord, examine my heart, Highlight the very things that you want me to let go of. God, if there are childish ways within me, Lord, I'm ready to let them go. Okay? That's a practical step. I do this. I'm like, God, like, if I, if I you know, need, like, an assessment, I'm like, God, like, you know, wh- why did I react that way? Or, like, what was it that you wanted me to learn from this? And then God really highlights those things. Uh, to follow that, the last step is to form good and godly habits. Character habits. Okay? You can write good and godly character habits. Meaning that you need to make a decision and take proactive steps to do this. You don't just leave yourself there. Like, oh man, I suck. I have all these really bad, immature things inside of me and my character. But you need to do something about it. This is the part where spiritual maturity is one of the hardest. You need to follow through. And uh, the same goes for prophetic words that were given to you. Like words from the Lord words that you even spoke of yourself, you need to do something about those things. You need to meditate on them. You need to steward them. You can't just leave them as, wow, that was such a good word or that was such a good prophetic word, but you need to do something about it. Because in fact, when you take that word that was spoken over you and you put it in your prayer closet and you pray about it, it grows, it multiplies, and it matures, and it becomes a part of who you are. And, you know, you'll see this a lot in New Philadelphia Church, but every time someone gets a prophetic word, we record it. And, like, it may look silly to some people, like to newcomers, but we always record prophetic words that are given over us. And I kid you not, even now, years of me being at this church, I listen to them, like, once in a while. And it's so funny because it's the word from the Lord, so it has no timing to it. It hit me then. It's still breaking me through now. And um, the very things I was asking the Lord for, like, I realized that, wow, like, even hearing that prophecy from, like, three years ago, it still provided that breakthrough now, like, today. And so... You know, don't just listen to your leader, but do what they actually say for you to do, okay? Uh, We need to take responsibility for our spiritual walks and our relationship with the Lord because at the end of the day, we are accountable for everything that we say and for how we act, our conduct, and everything with him. So, you know, this is not something that's going to benefit your spiritual walk. It's going to benefit everything, your character, your life, I could be off the pulpit telling you this in a cafe and we could just call it like a seminar. Like, oh yeah, like how to become a better person or whatever. In any context, whether it's spiritual, whether it's personal, it's going to benefit you and it's going to benefit your entire life. And so if you're the type that seeks constant self-approvement, like myself, I'm very, I think one of the biggest things that the Lord has been speaking to me on is that I need to stop like giving myself such a hard time or uh, trying to improve myself because I don't, for me, my problem is that I don't sit and just marvel at how he's made me at certain marks of maturity. I'm too busy focusing on the next thing that I need to work on, you know, like those kind of things, right? But it's also a problem if you don't even have any motivation to want to become a better person. It's like a big problem if nothing excites you, nothing motivates you, and nothing drives you to become a better person for the Lord. That is a problem, My side is another problem, which I'm working on. But for you, if you're not even taking steps to spiritual maturity, that is a problem as well, okay? 
And I think spiritual stagnancy and like hitting stunts in our growth is probably one of the worst places to be in. Um, I think to me, in my honest opinion, it's worse than even being backslidden because you're not growing. Nothing, nothing is happening and you're okay with it. That's the other problem. You're okay with being numb and you're okay with just taking things the way that they are. You're not challenging yourself. You're not, you know, calling yourself to a higher place of maturity or any of those things, right? And so the reason why I'm saying all of this, guys, um, I know that sometimes like, you know, the, the message right after an epic retreat is like, yeah, more, like we're going to get more, we're going to have more breakthroughs and all those things. But I really felt God say, hold on a second. Even if I were to give you more, what's the point when it's going to just slip through the fingers? Or what's the point of like crying out for more, more fire, God, more encounters with you? Like, you know, what's next? At the end of the day, are you going to celebrate like, oh, yeah, like I got totally blasted by the Holy Spirit. Or are you going to really learn how to steward it? And I really believe there's a key message to really equip you guys to stay free, to stay in those encounters with the Lord, to really take yourselves seriously, take your walks seriously with the Lord. And know that in the month of May, yes, you're going to get breakthrough. Yes, fire is going to fall in your quiet place, in your familias, in, you know, your walks on campus, whatever it is. But most importantly, fire is going to fall on your intimacy, your maturity with the Lord. And I really believe that he doesn't want us to stay spiritual babies forever. You know, he really wants us to grow. And he really wants us to uh, go higher in a mature sense, in a higher place of yet maturity in our walks with the Lord. Um, Johnny, can you come up?